0: Friends, welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Kenji Ross, a strategist at EPAM Continuum. In today's episode, the first of a two-part series, we'll be talking about mastering the cloud. The past couple decades have seen the cloud go from another word for servers to an entire approach to technology development. Virtualization has made it possible to create at a speed never before imagined, but also to fail safely and to learn from failure at an incredible rate. Cloud technology has made a million things easier for developers, but it's increased complexity a millionfold, and the rate of change is such that companies have to keep moving just to keep pace. Today, we're lucky to be a fly on the wall listening to Jim Wilt, architect of digital strategy and technology innovation at a Fortune 100 retailer, Norm Judah, EPAM advisory board member, and Miha Kral, EPAM's VP of cloud strategy. In true silo-busting form, they talk about the need for companies to break down the walls between technology and business to truly realize the gains of cloud-based tech. In the same way that agile development has forced the business side to adopt a new, iterative way of looking at software, the modern cloud is changing the way business units need to be in touch with their products. Let's listen then.
1: In the last few years, we are seeing increased adoption of cloud technologies, but with that increased adoption, we are also getting to increased complexity. And both you, Norm, and you, Jim, you are in this industry for longer than we are all willing to admit. So let's start with that basic question first. How did cloud get so complex that it requires a quite specific approach to it? Norm? Norm?
2: I think we're actually just starting that journey to complexity. Um, there's, I think what's happened over time is that the cloud allows us, provides the capability to run more and more complex scenarios. And in order to run those scenarios requires additional technology. And so I think you're seeing two trajectories happening that intersect. One is the breadth of the technology supported in the cloud. And as a consequence of that, the ability to interconnect those technologies and actually build solutions. And customers are demanding more. And as architects demand more to be able to build bigger, better, faster applications, um, the capabilities get more complex, Um, both complex and complicated. I think we should differentiate between those two. Um, But we haven't reached the golden age of the cloud at all. I think we're very early in that cycle of what is available and how to utilize it. One could project out and say that there will be a normalization and that at some future dates we'll start to see a layer of simplicity exposed. Underneath that will still be complex and complicated, but the simplicity of what will be exposed to the consumers of the technology. And I suspect that that'll happen in the future, maybe five or 10 years from now.
1: Jim?
3: Yeah, I, I agree Today it's more complex than it has been in the past, and we are just on the cusp of the beginning of um, the complicity. And, but I, I do want to go a little against the question in the sense that um, looking back at the early early adoption back in the 2012 to 2016 time frame, the the tools and the knowledge were so fresh, so new, so cutting edge that we went through a lot of um, struggles to get engineering um, up to speed to execute in this new paradigm of of operating. And I would say that we've made such progress here at 2022 to where that is no longer the hurdle. And I I think that's why we are at the cusp of the beginning of the revolution that Norm mentioned, because we now have the talent and the tools in place to do wonderful and great things at a marvelous pace. But, uh, what we're, we're struggling, I think, is that, uh, the rest of the world is changing just as fast. So there are more threats, more vectors, more opportunities, more demands that are, you know, we're up against that to get, I'm going to say, uh, out things out there faster, uh, you know, to the customer experiences that we want to have, you know, the whole mobile injection of devices has now come to fruition and there's just so much to do, but we're doing it with better talent and better tools. So where it is a challenge, we have, I'm going to say, um, a resource pool that is ready to take on that challenge. And I'm excited about that. But there are a lot of other factors that are continually moving. You're chasing an enigma. It's not a fixed you know, post that you, you can say, I've accomplished this.
1: That is actually a very interesting thought because of all of that mm-hmm. innovation that we see coming out from cloud vendors and technology providers. Suddenly, mastery of that new innovation is becoming a moving target. So if you would look into that from perspective of, you know, what is a half-life of mastery knowledge, Norm, what do you think? Where are we here? Is the split time of, you know, knowing everything to knowing just half of it, is that now six months? Is it longer? Is it shorter? Well,
2: I, I just to leverage a little bit from what Jim said, which was, as all of this complexity is developed, and there's an awful lot of experimentation that's going on on all sides, where both the providers of technology and the consumers are trying out stuff. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of capabilities that have a very short half-life where they come and go because there's some better solution. But part of the way that's being addressed is there's this opaque screen that's put over the complexity and it is automation that hides it. And so the problem with that automation is that the automation gets more complicated and you have to understand how the automation occurs of the underlying pieces. So I think the um, it, it is absolutely impossible to know everything about everything in the cloud. Um, you can know something about everything and everything about something, but knowing how all the components work is, is, is an, a task that's sort of intractable to normal humans. Uh, in that circumstance, there's a very important piece of it, which is understanding your network. Who are the people and the resources that you can draw on to actually make your data set as complete as it can be, and the ability to specialize and subspecialize to provide that capability, because as an individual, it's an intractable task to do that. The half-life is fascinating because we see big bets occurring by the technology providers. Um, Kubernetes is one of those today that if we'd had this conversation four or five years ago, Kubernetes was an experiment, and now it's actually much more than an experiment, and that might actually be the way to do some things. Will there be a different way of uh, doing those capabilities in the future? Probably. Um, and the ability of not only people to retain the mastery, but what do you do with the assets that are developed in this old world? And so the ability to migrate from version N-1 to version N to version N-1, that is going to become part of the mastery as well. It's not only understanding the technology, but the migration from where you were to where you need to be in the future. And so in some cases, the half-life could be six months and in some cases it could be years. But if you look back from a historical perspective at the technologies, the sort of quote state of the art that we use today and where they were five or six years ago, this is moving incredibly quickly. And it really is a complex problem to actually retain that mastery and like any basic skill, there's not, the skill isn't static. You either get better or you get worse, but you never stay at the same level. And so this notion of this goal of mastery, this thing that's sitting out there, which is I, I run a couple of laps in practice, I run the marathon, and then I'm there, uh, that's not always true because you, you already realize that when you finish the marathon, there's actually another one in front of you, and it's not a marathon. It's actually a triathlon, and you, you haven't even started the bike race yet. And so (laughs) it is a treadmill uh, that we're on. And the consequence of that is a deep investment. It's not a one-shot investment where you get certified and you're done. It is a continuing investment for companies and individuals to be able to build that capability and retain it.
1: So do I see that correctly, that it's kind of on one side, how do you adopt new mastery skills, let's say, in the cloud? Second one is how do you maintain that mastery? But probably neither of those two is relevant if you can't use that mastery. Jim, how are you balancing these actually, three things?
2: Yeah, I just want to add something. It's not to this three because there's how do you res- how do you retire as well. So it's True. actually all three.
3: Yeah, I agree with Norm that retire is a, a very important uh, aspect. We need to retire some of our old ways of operating. Um, I want to highlight a couple things. First is I want to get a t-shirt uh, of what Norm said, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're
3: you're either, you know, expanding or you're going backwards, but you, there is no stagnant when it comes to cloud. There is clouds. Look at the sky. They don't just sit there. They're always moving. Um, I, I really think that that's a, a really important point. I want to highlight something too that will get into the specifics of your question, Mia. When Norm was talking about we're doing more experiments, I I couldn't agree more how the importance of doing these experiments is and how the, I'm going to say, context of experiments has changed. In the earlier days, we talked about proof of concepts where we would do experiments to show we think we can make it work. We'll do a proof of concept, to prove it out experiment, if you will, and then go with very little confidence into production in a pilot mode hoping that it doesn't break. And with the cloud and the ability to do extensive experiments in mass through automation and variations, we can learn how to fail. An experiment today is so different because I'm learning a hundred ways to not do something so that when I find the two ways to do it, I can go into that with high confidence because I'm an expert at failing at it. It's a completely different twist, and we didn't have the tools and the massive expanse that the cloud provides to be able to do that in the past. we worked within a few servers and a few developers, and now a few developers can do thousands of servers, and we can find out how to fail. very. We call it fail fast and, and often. To get to your point, are we ready as an industry to execute on all of these things? And that's a A tough question because depending where you are on the Gartner hype curve, um, you you, you are an early adopter. You may be at an advantage, okay? But this is this whole thing is blowing away the Gartner hype curve in my mind, Um, and I'm I'm just coming to realize that uh, in the last weeks, what what you're seeing is that if you are actually an early adopter, you might be comfortable in your container environment, let's say, to where I become, what Norm said, stagnant. I'm either moving or I'm going backwards. Well, if I'm stagnant, I'm actually moving backwards. Okay. And I think there are companies that are there. They, they got their containers working and they're not going any further. And the serverless community is an and, not an or, is going ahead of them. And so that's that's one issue that you run into. Another one is if you're a latent person on the Gartner-Hype curve for cloud adoption, you're an organization that waited, I'm going to wait to see what everybody else does. What's good about being latent is that your engineering resources and your tools have gotten better, but has your executive management gotten better? And is your executive management holding you back? And you then have people that are so used to the old school way preventing your new resources that know how to do these things from moving forward. And I'm seeing that in multiple organizations across the industry where it's actually the engineering resources aren't the problem anymore. They got it down. In fact, they're better than their executive management is, and now executive management is holding them back. And so, again, that's not even getting out of the starting gate. So I struggle sometimes with the concept that, as we improve the tools, as we improve the resources, our, our mindsets in the leadership of organizations and the models that they're working on, are they moving at the pace of engineering? It used to be engineering lagged the business. Now engineering can deliver faster than the business, which, which is a crazy. But there are reasons for that, right? If I'm going to make a, a change to a call center management system, I can make that software change in hours to days today or it would take weeks to months to years before. However, if I do it in hours or days today, the people on the phones still have to learn about these changes. And they're the bottleneck now too, right? Because they've got to be trained on the new features that are coming out. So I'd be kind of curious with, with you and Norm, what, what you're seeing in terms of is technology getting ahead of itself? And are we creating, I'm going to say, a, a different enigma where uh, – the, the, the resources, the technology, and so forth are challenging the business because they can move faster. Have you seen that?
1: I don't think it is a technology problem. Technology, we see waves and waves of new technologies from various vendors for last, what, 40, 35 years. I think that the problem, you already hinted at it a little bit, uh, is mostly the Conundrum, how do you achieve that excellence, that mastery on the enterprise level? You actually need to combine two things or several layers, several things at the same time. How do engineers and IT people achieve that excellence and mastery and see what really works well for them from all of that basket of options that are out there through experimentation and failing fast, as you said, Jim? On the other hand, executive tier is the one that also needs to learn that the cheese is moving all the time, that actually that cheese now became something that is never still. And how do you combine all of that to kind of a try to explain to the business that cloud is not just a cheaper data center in the sky, but actually provides on its own an additional business value through greater agility, greater speed, better access to business innovation. Norm, you are in this business for really long. How did that change really uh, through the history?
2: So I think there's a way of looking at this, which is I had um, the the benefit of, of working as a CTO for a while, probably a long time. And frame my role in in interesting ways as the CTO, which was really around three core pillars, uh, technical strategy, technical quality and people. And I'll go in reverse order. People was about how you grow the audience of technical people. So when we talk about, um, growing mastery, the question is, how do you find the technical leaders in your organization and how do you grow the mastery, the strategy behind building and continuing to build mastery through there? Uh, The technical strategy part was deciding what technology to use and when, and then the quality part was, are you doing it correctly? All of these tie into the mastery thing. But I want to come back to the strategy piece because it's about which technologies and when. And, in fact, it's much easier to decide on which technologies. You can always see bright, shiny things in the sky that give you some wonderful new capability. But it's the and when part um, that actually has the the big impact of how do you place that bet because every time – you introduce yet another set of technologies. You're probably not retiring an equivalent set, but that costs you money as an organization. It actually is a financial investment, both from the IT side, but also on the business side that has a cost attached to it that hopefully has a business benefit. And framing the discussion that way, both with the engineering technical audience, but also with the business audience, I think is incredibly important. And actually, as you do these experiments... Um, that Jim talked about earlier, such let's just say some AI experiments, it's incredibly important that the VP of sales be the sponsor of the experiment that actually is going to impact the sellers and that they need to be engaged in what the experiment, the goal of the experiment is, what's the exit strategy and does it get converted into something that goes into production or does it become an experiment where we learn something and move on? And so the level of engagement that needs to happen across both business and tech is equivalent when you do these things. However, how do you take somebody who's the VP of sales and actually have them attend a meeting every week, which talks about the the crazy new technologies that are coming from all the vendors that are happening all the time, particularly if you're in a multi-cloud environment, which over time I think will happen to most companies. Maintaining that level of context for the business leaders about what is available so that they can actually try to get business success. That's an incredibly hard problem. And so there are, you know, the the mastery has, I think, different altitudes. There's technical mastery, but there's also the business mastery side as well. In order to get that right level of partnership, to be able to take advantage of what's there, we're all involved in it in some way. Um, And every company is a software company. Um, actually means so much more with the cloud and the availability of technology in the cloud. AI is just an example of that.
1: That is actually a really good point here, is that cloud on its own is just a component of that broader transformation picture that is obviously becoming more and more complex and value-added. Um Jim, how are you adding those? Is, is this additive or is it a replacing type of the action? Well, I,
3: I think Norm stated it the best. You basically, when you've got IT stakeholder-led uh, cloud advancement, your resources, your, your purpose, your tools and things are going to reach a threshold of returns that's very, very low compared to your line of business in business-led managed uh, transformation. I I really think that, I I normally like the word and, but I think I'm finding the word or a little bit better here. I I think that really needs to be the business stakeholders that are driving the desired outcomes. And then IT then comes to the table leveraging this wonderful tool and processes and expertise to achieve these goals. Because when you, it's almost an anti pattern to leave your cloud transformation up to your IT teams alone, because they're going to build it like they would an IT shop, which is not necessarily how a business runs. But if you let the business leaders set the sometimes unattainable goals out there as a true north, give your engineers, your architects, your security leads time, they will attain those goals. Over time, and they might attain them faster than you realize. And I think that something that we don't do enough on the IT side is ask enough from them. I think we're so worried about they're overburdened, they're overworked, that we don't ask enough from them. We don't share enough of, hey, this is where our business is going. This is our true north of the business. Can you help us get there? What, what do you need to do? What can you do differently to get us there? And I, I think that the minute you lose that perspective, that you're on the line of business's uh, tracked journey path, then the, you're, you're really going to just dig yourself into a hole. It's just kind of been my experience. When, when IT is left to run the business themselves, they don't do as well as the people that actually do run the business. And I think you need to listen to those people first and foremost. So very up. much
1: what you are saying is that IT is not the business. IT supports the business, and in order to achieve those benefits and mastery, it needs to be not just driven and controlled by IT. Correct?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And you really need to have the business leaders step up and say, "Hey, th- these are our goals. Th- these are the outcomes that we want to drive toward," and and then and then invite IT to be one of the players. It comes in and delivers to those goals. And in the process, IT may find flaws. that They, they can work together collaboratively to remediate. But, but for the most part, um, we've all seen this. A, 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 a business stakeholder comes in and says, I need an application to do A, B, and C. IT builds the application to do A, B, and C exactly as the business asked, And as soon as the business sees it, they go, oh, yeah, I know that's what I asked you wanted, but I want it really to be D, E, and F, not exactly. A, B, and C. And 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 you think about that and you realize, okay, that should not be a problem. We we don't get upset about that. We we're so agile. D, E and F are just another week away. You know, is, is really where we want to get to. The tools, the technologies, and the practices in place today really are allowing us to do that in, in space, but we can't do it if we don't enable and self-empower what, what I'm going to say your IT teams to be able to be that agile and reactive to the business's needs that way. So, I, yeah, but I, in all honesty, I, I think Norm's got it right. The business is the true north, and in IT, we need to align to that.
2: So, Mia, I think if you, if you actually use healthcare as an interesting example, which is that the evolution of healthcare that we're in the middle of right now is really been facilitated by the ability for end users, let's call them patients, and their ability to connect into their various providers. And technology is the leader of this, Where there's something about me being able to get to my electronic record and actually communicate with my provider through the record, or the consumerization of healthcare in the ability of IoT devices in the home, reducing the number of office visits, all of that sort of dramatic change of healthcare has been facilitated by technology, and the sort of consequence of that is mastery of the cloud, both the technical mastery and the business mastery becomes, I think, a corporate competency that may or may not be measurable on how you do that. But I, the the downstream consequence of that is investment. It means that uh, people need to have time allocated to be able to build and continue to maintain the mastery across the dimensions of both technology and business and whether it's development and operations or whether it's on the customer support side, whatever it is, it starts to become this core competency. And so companies that are built in the cloud, that grew up in the cloud, this is just the natural part of their business. The interesting transition is for companies that didn't start in the cloud, how do they struggle to go from where they are Into becoming at least partly a cloud based company or fully, and how they handle that migration and the commitment that needs to come with that at the corporate level, which again means investment. It actually means developing that competency is going to take time and money in order to do that.
0: This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Jim Wilt, Norm Judah, and Miha Kral for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his behind-the-scenes work. I'm your host, Kenji Ross.